Judgment Studios. The Michelle Obama Podcast is out now on Spotify. This series brings listeners inside the former First Lady's most candid and personal conversations, showing us what's possible when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, to open up and focus on what matters most. Joining the former First Lady is an array of special guests, including Marion and Craig Robinson, Conan O'Brien, Valerie Jarrett, Michelle Norris, and Dr. Sharon Malone. Episodes focus on relationships that shape us, from siblings and close friends to partners, parents, and mentors, to our relationship with ourselves and our health. Listen free at Spotify.com slash Michelle Obama. Now then, we're going to kick off the program with a story from an intrepid reporter, one who would follow any lead, climb any mountain. But sometimes... The story of a lifetime just falls in your lap. Snap Judgment. A contact of mine at the courthouse called to say that something was coming in that, you know, I'd certainly want to see. That's Brian Denson. And back in 2009, he was reporting for the Oregonian newspaper in Portland. I grabbed a seat in the front row of a courtroom. I was trying to get as close as I could to a 24-year-old defendant named Nathaniel Nicholson. He went by Nathan. Nathan looked really stoic as government prosecutors played a wiretap. Nathan, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Are you okay? I'm good. What's up with the FBI? Well... Are you okay? Are you in jail? No, I'm, I'm, no I wouldn't be calling for my cell phone if I was in jail. I've been very worried. I know, I know. Uh, so is everyone else. So what happened? Holy cow! Yeah. So, uh, well, it, it's it's a, a really long story. This is tape of the wiretap. It's Nathan speaking to his sister Star after the FBI came to his apartment on December two thousand eight. What was going on is I was uh, uh transporting some information. Okay. And that's what the whole deal was about. Whose information was it for? Uh, well, it, it was it was for uh, the Russians. Dude. But um, you know, it was nothing illegal or anything like that. Was you know, nothing if, illegal. If, if if it was, I'd, I'd be in prison. This was for me way more than just an espionage case. I really needed to know what Nathan's role was in the, in the spy plot. So the first chance he got, Brian slipped a note to Nathan's attorney and landed an exclusive interview with Nathan. Okay, so I did talk about that then. Yeah, and I'm going to go back to that tape to, to describe that a little bit. Okay. We talked for slightly more than eight hours, all on videotape. The story starts when Nathan was 12. He was living in a townhouse with his dad and his sister Star in Burke, Virginia. It was, for the most part, an idyllic childhood. And at that point, of course, he didn't know his dad also happened to work for the CIA. He was my hero. I saw him as someone who would make sacrifices for his family. And I wanted to aspire to that. But then everything changed one day in November 1996. Nathan, his sister, and their uncle had just dropped Nathan's dad off at the airport to fly off on what Nathan thought was a business job. 
A few hours later, two FBI agents knocked on the door. Yeah, I remember answering the door. What did they say? They asked if Uncle Rob was there. And in fact, they have to search the house. They're going to tear the house upside down. So the kids literally had to pack up their things and go to a motel that was rented for them by the FBI. I just remember them looking very serious and said, all right, turn on the TV. And they, they flipped it to a certain channel. And then they started saying Harold James Nicholson was, was arrested for espionage. And he could be looking at life or could be looking at the death penalty. Harold James Nicholson, he went by Jim, was Nathan's dad. This is a guy who had betrayed his country on so many different levels. Jim Nicholson passed information from secret CIA cables to Russian spies all over the world. He gave up the names of approximately 300 CIA officers in training. He exposed their identities, putting their operations and lives at risk. Jim's betrayals didn't end there. He gave up the names of access agents. He gave up the names of the CIA station chief in Moscow, for heaven's sakes. He gave up a whole lot of top secret, secret, and other classified information to the Russians for $300,000 in pay. Nathan couldn't believe any of it. The person the FBI was talking about did not square away with the man he knew as his father. I was just so shocked. I, I couldn't even feel any emotion other than just like, what is this? You know, surely there must be like a, a huge mistake going on here. Star started uh, shouting out things like uh, she doesn't believe in God anymore. And I was worried for my father's life. I was worried as like that was the last time I, I was ever going to see him. Nathan did see his dad again, but not until a year later. Jim was convicted in 1997, the highest ranking CIA officer ever convicted of espionage. And he was now serving a 23-and-a-half-year sentence in a medium-security prison in Oregon. That prison became Nathan's second home. He spent so many hours sitting knee-to-knee with his dad. He, he expressed a lot of guilt. What I did was selfish. I should have never done that because you kids are now suffering because of it. He felt incredibly embarrassed. It's just very, very remorseful and always very humbled whenever we would come to visit him. Nathan was 22 years old. He was going to visit his father. And he was going to go in and buy his father a jalapeno cheeseburger and a Coke. They were going to talk about their favorite show, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Now, I don't think he was expecting anything unusual that day. When his father said, I know you kids are, are having some tough times with finances, and there's a way for me to, um, to help out with that, and that I would be the go-to guy to make all this happen. He was saying, um, I want you to find out where some Russian consulates are. Nathan didn't really give it a whole lot of thought. So he went home, did a little internet research, and found a Russian consulate in San Francisco. I relayed that to him, of course, and he says, all right. Just verbally, though. All right. Jim sort of nodded along, and he said, I'd like for you to drive down to San Francisco, and I would like for you to carry some messages that I'm going to prepare for you, and I want you to ask for the director of security. And he said, um, what I'm hoping for is that they will give you some, some money. Now, Jim would have known that the Russians were holding what might be called a pension for him in Moscow. It's been estimated at about a million dollars, and that Nathan could maybe make some early withdrawals from this account. But it, it's dangerous. What did you say? Well, I, I let Dad know that whatever he needed done, I would do it. And he never asked his dad. 
what do you mean it's dangerous? <laughs> then when his father was talking about cover stories and, you know, pretending to be an architect just in case the FBI or someone should stop you, this should have been sending warning flags, but... I was really appealed to the adventure of what it sounded like. And he explained to me that while I could tell Jeremy and Star, it might be best not to, just because the less explaining, the, the easier things would go. I'll have to say this. Nathan was extremely vulnerable. He'd been through a terrible parachuting accident that had called him from the Army. He was depressed, he had been suicidal, and he was, you know, a Pizza Hut delivery man at night. It was not the exciting life that he had imagined for himself. I started the drive around midnight or so, got to a rest stop, threw on uh, my suit. Dad told me to present myself in a, a nice fashion. And early the next morning, Nathan walked into the Russian consulate. He was carrying a couple messages and a photo of him with his dad. In fact, he felt pretty confident that the Russians would treat him very well. At the receptionist's desk, he asked to speak to the director of security. A man did come out and drew Nathan back into the bowels of this consulate into a surveillance-proof room. He was very suspicious of me. It was, he starts uh, questioning me. What did he ask you? Uh, he says, well, tell me about yourself. Where were you born? He, he tried to trip me up by saying, um, tell me about your brothers. And I say, well, no, I only have one brother and one sister. I want to let you know that we don't trust you right now. <laughs> we have no idea who you are. Ultimately, the director of security turned Nathan away. I remember driving back very discouraged. Well, why did I waste this trip? Informed Dad uh, on the next visit as to all that happened. Well, he's very concerned about my safety. Did they hurt you? I say, no, they, <laughs> they didn't even touch a hand on me other than shaking my hand. And you can almost hear the gears turning in his, his head as to what he's thinking up there. At this point, Jim undoubtedly knew the Russians were vetting Nathan and that they were pouring over his notes to the Russians. He wasn't too happy. So he says, all right, uh, I want you to go back in two weeks. So with his marching orders, Nathan drove back down to the Russian consulate in San Francisco. He was a little nervous, unsure what to expect. He asked for the director of security again. He uh, was very apologetic for, for being so harsh the first time. We're very sorry for the way we treated you, for not believing you. We fully trust you now. Just about gave me a bear hug almost, <laughs> it seemed like. And then, to Nathan's great surprise, he spilled out $5,000 out of a bag in $100 bills. But there was a catch and one that Nathan didn't fully grasp at the time. The Russians wanted something in exchange for this money. He gave me uh, specific instructions as to where I was going to meet for the next meeting. Told him that it was now unsafe to be visiting the Russian consulate in San Francisco and was told to go to Mexico City and given a date. The Russians had a list of questions for Jim, and now they had Nathan to carry those answers back and forth. The Russians wanted to know. Was dad suspicious of being tailed in Malaysia? If he was suspicious, what were his reasonings behind that? They were curious as to who gave him the lie detector test. If he noticed anything odd or basically it seemed like, why did you screw up type of questions? And there is a little bit of truth to that. The Russians were trying to find out where they went wrong, but what they were trying to do is find out what Russian spy among them fingered Jim. <laughs> Nathan is driving home from that visit, feeling like he's on cloud nine. 
and he is very excited to tell his father, and uh, just about that time, the phone rings. Hello? This call is from... This is Dad Power Daddy. An inmate at a federal... Hey, hey Bob. Hey, Nate. I thought I'd call you and see what kind of hours you're keeping these days. Pretty, pretty much the same, I guess. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, I'm on the road heading back now. Oh, are you? Okay, okay. Did everything go okay? Yeah, everything went uh, real well. Oh, excellent. Um, excellent. Got a uh, uh, sale for about a five five k. Okay. Uh huh. And uh, even thinking of making a trip over to uh, Mexico come December. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, so business is picking up, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Sure is. Well, I'm uh, I'm just tickled to talk to you about it. Um, I'll be calling you again then uh, tomorrow, maybe after church or something like that. Sounds great. Okay, you guy, you you have a safe journey and uh, get some sleep to, uh, this afternoon. I guess you'll be sleeping. <laughs> okay, Pa. All right, buddy. You take care, and I love you. Have you got fog down there? For the next year and a half, Nathan crisscrossed the globe on the Russians' orders. The first two times he went to Mexico City, the next to Lima, Peru. Each time he met with a Russian handler named George. Nathan would hand over his dad's answers written on prison napkins. George would give him $10,000 stuffed in a paper bag. At the end of each meeting, he'd get a list of more questions for his dad and the location of his next assignment. I'm feeling great. Yeah. It's like, wow, this is finally successful. My faith in my father was was panning out. And Dad told me he was proud of me. He said he wished some of the people in the CIA that he had trained were as uh, cooperative or as successful. <laughs> and so that encouraged me. That made me feel like a sense of pride. So at this point, they have now gotten $5,000 in San Francisco, $20,000 in Mexico City, another $10,000 in Peru. So we have $35,000 already and the promise of much more. Nathan moved to a nicer apartment, got a better car, but he wasn't pocketing all the money. He funneled some of it to his brother and his sister too. Of course, they didn't know it was from the Russians. I felt kind of like a, I don't know, undercover Santa Claus, you know, because I was able to see uh, my brother and sister be able to afford their expenses now. I started, was able to move up to Portland and get a job up here. It was after the trip to Lima, Peru, when Nathan was stopped in the airport in Houston, that he really began to feel that what he was doing couldn't possibly be on the up and up any longer. I started becoming very uh, suspicious of anyone around me. I was getting very nervous before I would go on these trips. And and then George signaled Nathan to meet him in Cyprus in December 2008. Nathan was feeling especially anxious about this trip. And he brought up the subject on a, a couple of occasions with his dad. Maybe this should, this should be the end of this. And dad would say, you know, you're, you're this brave guy that, that goes off and does these things. And I'm like, yeah, that's all right, all right, that fires me up. Let's, let's do this. Something in the back of my head said, you know, trust that dad knows what he's doing. And maybe I, I was selfish, I don't know. And wanted all the glory for myself. I... It felt glorious. No, it did. It did. And I don't know if that's what kept me going or, or subconsciously going. I don't know. Ultimately, Jim's motivations were very clear. 
he was securing his future in Russia, where he planned to move after serving his prison term. He was looking at maybe another eight years. So throughout this time, you'll see from the, the tapes that Jim is giving him fatherly love in triplicate and grooming him like any garden variety asset he would have worked overseas. But this was his own son, and I don't think Jim felt any shame about it. Hello. Did you read that, uh, that psalm that I mentioned? I sure did. You're, you're really good at reciting uh, passages there. Oh, no, I, I was just amazed at how that just lined up with what you, you had just done, you know. I was just amazed. I said, wow, thanks, Lord, you know. Yeah, I, I know he's got his hand on you, you know, because he knows I worry about you all the time. And, <laughs> and uh, he just wants to reassure me all the time that he's got you. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's no, for that, sure. That was good. That was real good. All right, well, super, hon. Well, listen, you just have a, a good week this week, okay? And I just want you to know I love you. And, uh, I love you too, Bob. I got you in my prayers, of course, all the time. And, uh, and we're going to we're gonna have a, a good time here. So uh, just uh, just keep uh, keep plugging along and make me really proud, son. You're doing a great job. Nathan could not resist going to Cyprus. But on his way back to the States, he was stopped by a customs officer and questioned for a very long time. Nathan managed to stay calm, talked his way out of it, and made it home. I was feeling pretty good that I had actually made it past security at that time and thought I could relax a little bit. I woke up to a loud pounding on the door. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. I thought they were going to break it down there. <laughs> Peeked out the, the eye hole, saw that there was two gentlemen. I'm, I knew who they were at that point in time. I started flashing back to what I remembered when I was 12. They looked exactly like uh, what I remembered. So I opened up the, the door, let them in, and they introduced themselves that they're FBI agents. My world came unglued at that time. I asked them, am I going to be arrested right now? They say, well, not right now, you're not. After being grilled for eight hours, the first person Nathan called was his sister Star. She'd also been visited by the FBI. They sent two mean ladies here. Two mean ladies? Oh, no. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, sis, I'm sorry. Yeah. But, so uh, you're good? and uh, You're fine and everything's going to be okay? No, I'm doing all right. Doing all right. You know, I'm just... Uh, a little concerned about Christmas now because I was planning on using that money for, for some presents. They took but, your uh, Christmas money? Well, yeah, they, because the information I gave uh, the Russians was um, worth $10,000. Oh, dude. Yeah. And I was planning on giving uh, you and Jeremy uh, some of that money. Oh, dude, no, you know, like, no, like, no. Like the past years. and. Uh, that was you? Yep. Dude. You're not supposed to do that. But, uh... Thank you. Don't think uh, I don't appreciate <laughs> it, but... But, 
but you know, seriously, it just sounds kind of like what Daddy did. The same day that Nathan was interrogated, two other FBI agents took Jim out of his cell and sat him down. Jim had multiple chances to fall on his sword and save his kid. He could have taken full responsibility and cut a deal with the government to go easy on Nathan. But he indignantly said, I don't want to talk anymore, and invoked his right to counsel. 43 days later, Nathan was indicted for conspiracy to act as an agent of a foreign government and for money laundering. So when they came to arrest me, I, I knew exactly what they were there for. And I had a mix of emotions. I, I didn't know if I felt relief or if my life was falling apart. <laughs> but now Nathan had three choices. He could plead guilty and go to prison for a long period. He could cut a plea deal and get less time. Or there was a door number three, and that was to become a cooperating witness against his own father. It was a very lonely road that I was on because it felt like, you know, here's my hero. He was trying to help me out, uh, to the best of my knowledge, at, at least. And I had to essentially crucify him. Nathan decided to cooperate with the government, essentially turning on his dad. But the judge had to ask him, do you realize that by pleading guilty here, you'll likely be asked to confront your father? Are you indeed ready to do that? And his answer was yes, but it was a very pained yes. It, it did take a lot of uh, soul searching, as you, as you put it. But it, it was uh, ultimately the right thing to do. I wanted to take full responsibilities for my actions, try to make amends for it. In a way, Nathan's decision forced his father's hand. After holding out for months, Jim finally cut a plea deal with the government. Jim did something extraordinary at sentencing. He didn't apologize to the U.S. government. In fact, he apologized for the trouble that his assistance brought the Russian government. This did not sit well with the district judge, Anna Brown, who sentenced him. She said, your time going forward is not going to be easy time. Jim was sentenced to the Supermax in Florence, Colorado, where the worst of the worst go in the U.S. federal system. And since his conviction, Jim has not been able to speak to Nathan or communicate with him in any way. In a sense, that's sort of been like a, kind of like a death. Looking back at the letters you got from your dad, with, with the hindsight you've obviously gained in all this time, Right. Uh, what do you make of lines like, you know, you've been brave enough to step into this new world, you're like me? To be honest, there's still part of me that appreciates those words even now. But I, what troubles me is the very real possibility that it was used for some sort of manipulation. Uh, but I, I don't know. I still have all these memories about when I was a kid, and, and I still wrestle with the idea that he may or may not have manipulated me. But, you know, I, I do still very much love him, and I, I still appreciate those words. I guess they sit differently a little bit now. Snappers, we've got a strange addendum to this story. You see, I know Jim Nicholson, who was the subject of this story. He was a CIA station chief in Malaysia when I was there as a junior, junior, junior 
foreign service officer. We pretended that he was my boss. And at the time, to say that I looked up to him would be the understatement of the decade. He was so cool, so confident. When he actually turned his full attention to you, it was like you felt better about yourself. When he initially left Malaysia, I lived in his house, discovered through the grapevine that we were dating some of the same women, and I heard that he had a tough re-entry back to the United States. I had no idea how tough. To learn more about the father-son spy plot, grab a copy of Brian Denson's book, The Spy's Son. We'll have a link to that at snapjudgment.org. The original sound design for that piece was by Renzo Gorio. It was produced by Nancy Lopez.